pray and study a hundred times more than I link the time than I actually preach when I get up here. It never seems to go very long. Shelly says I'm getting longer and longer. I'm not intentionally getting longer and longer. It's just this is what God gives me, and so don't look at me that way, Beth. You got to cheer me on today. Okay, there you go. That's all I need. If you'll get in, it'll go a lot quicker. I know that. We're going to look in the book of Exodus today, chapter 2 and verse 2. We're going to read a familiar story. If you would stand with us for the reading of God's Word. Exodus 2 and verse 2. It says, The woman became pregnant and had a son. She saw, she saw how beautiful he was and hid him for three months. When she couldn't hide him any longer, she took a basket made of uh, papyrus plants and coated it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in it and set it among the papyrus plants near the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. While Pharaoh's daughter came to the Nile to take the bath, her servants walked along the bank of the river. She saw the basket among the papyrus plants and sent her slave girl to get it. Pharaoh's daughter opened the basket, looked at the baby, and saw it was a boy. He was crying. And she felt sorry for him. She said, this is one of the Hebrew children. Then the baby's sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, should I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? She answered, yes. So the girl brought the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to the woman, if you're not following along too good, this woman that they bring to her is Moses' mom. Pharaoh's daughter says to her, take this child, nurse him for me, and I will pay you. And she took the child and nursed him. Well, in that last scripture, I wish somebody would pay me to take care of my kids. <laughs> the word's already anointed, but we're going to pray right now that he'll anoint his servant. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to stand behind this sacred desk. And I ask you, Lord, today that you anoint my lips, Lord, that nothing comes out of me that, that I want to say, Father, but it comes from you. That we can stress the point, Lord, that you've stressed to me all week. I ask you, Lord, for the seed to be planted deep inside that it will grow at its appropriate time. I ask you, Lord, to move and anoint us in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Most of you know me and have known me for a long time. You know what I used to do. At nine years old, my mom and dad went on the evangelistic field and uh, got a big bus. We traveled the nations, preaching revivals. And uh, our family would sing and everything. Mom and dad had five kids. I don't know why they didn't stop after me, but they didn't. They kept on having kids. And uh, so they got what they got. You got what you deserve. So <laughs> the mother rotten ones, it's just me being the good one. But uh, I, was, I was thinking about this story. And I'll tell you that, that what God gave me this week was the, the question, are we doing our part? Are we doing our part? And I, it reminded me of a story. We were uh, going to my grandpa's house in Fox, and uh, we was driving the bus, and the whole family's on the bus. We stopped in Moralton, and uh, we were going to get some fuel on the bus, and then we were going to go up Highway, I believe it's 9, and go on up to Fox, up that way. And me and my sister, I was about 12 years old at the time. My sister was about 3, and uh, it's Ferris's twin, Farrell. 
we, we woke up early that morning and we're sitting at a gas station. So we got up, we went into the gas station to use the bathroom. Of course, three years old, I had to help her out and everything. When we walked back out, the bus was gone. We had been abandoned. I'm dealing with that stress today. I thought I'd never see my parents again. My dad said, and the rest of that story is they got going down the road just a little bit, and God checked my dad's heart and told my mom, said, go check, make sure the kids are all right. And she run back through the bus, and she seen we wasn't in our beds in our room. She come running up telling dad, Farrell and Drew is not in here. So they turned around and come and got us. Well, when I walked out of that gas station, I'm, I'm looking around. I was like, okay, where's a 12-year-old? Find a job, a house, and a car, and i got to take care of my sister now. I mean, I thought the world had ended. Probably in just a couple minutes, they were gone. I just thought it was, it was over with for me, and I, I had to grow up right then. But uh, they, they come and got me. They're still my parents. I forgave them. I had to go to counseling, but I'm all right. No, I didn't. But what come to me is, I told mom last night, I'm going to bust you out. So they didn't check and make sure everybody was on board. She didn't do her part. <laughs> She's sorry now. <laughs> She's sorry. I remember another time we were down in, we were in Texarkana, and I don't know if you know David Patillo, but David Patillo is a singer, songwriter, an awesome man of God. Uh, he wrote a, a bunch of Christian songs that you would recognize. He wrote one song in particular that a country artist, Leanne Rimes, did. And uh, so it kind of put him on the map, even in, in that uh, genre. But anyhow, we were at his dad's church preaching revival. Dad was preaching. As kids, again, I was about 12 years old. My brother was 10, 9 years old, whatever age he was. Video games was our life. All day long, we did school. I mean, we had... We had teachers in our school that, I mean, they carried belts and everything, and they tore us up. We didn't do school. We were homeschooled. And so um, during these revivals, we would go in and do school all day, you know, and then at night we go to church. So we didn't see much daylight, and so by the time we get to the bus and all that kind of stuff, we'd change our clothes. Mom and dad said, go change your clothes before you do anything, before we eat or anything after church, go change your clothes. Well, me and my brother shared a room in the bus, and... Um, we obeyed part of their commandment, you know, going and changing our clothes. But we just, we got out of our dress clothes, and we were fighting. How many ever had a sibling that you fought with in your underwear? <laughs> it, it happens sometimes, okay? So we're, we're, out, we're back there just fighting, and he obviously got the last lick on me. He hit me or whatever, and he took off running down the hall of the bus, running up front of the, the living area of the bus. What he didn't know is David Patilla and his wife was sitting up front on our bus. My mom steps over in the hall, and she's trying to block him. She's trying to play a you know, linebacker. She's blocking him, and he's just pushing his way through. Mom, let me go, let me go. He thought I was coming to beat him up. He succeeded. He pushed her out of the way and got right in the middle of the living room, standing there in front of David and his wife. He told me, he said, Mom did not do her part. She was telling him real quietly the whole time, we got company, we got company, we got company. He couldn't, he couldn't hear it, though. He just kept pushing on through. But he told me, he said, Mom did not do her part that day. So he had an embarrassing moment. We see in sports, if there's no first baseman, the infielders have no one to throw to. 
We see in football that without a lineman blocking, the quarterback couldn't throw a touchdown. Boy, my team's seen that this year big time. Without other team members in basketball, we could never even take the ball out. Takes teamwork. Without a ball, we'd have games like basket. <laughs> Let's go play some base. Let's go play some foot. I have to have the ball with that too. But every member of a sports team has a job to do. They have a, a goal to reach, they have a job to do. Without each player doing their job, the player or the mission of that team won't be accomplished. How many knows that we're a team of believers right here today? We are. We're a church body that loves this community, loves our family and friends, that we want to reach out and do our part to bring them into the kingdom. I'm going to tell you, I'm just throwing this in. It's not even my notes, but it's not just our part to invite. I see it through the word they were getting them saved and then bringing them in. Now, don't get me wrong. We still need to invite everyone. We need to be ready to lead somebody to the Lord in the produce section of Harps. I'm not going back to produce for a long time. I'm just telling you, after this fast. I've had enough vegetable, vegetables. I started dreaming about vegetables. So I've got to... Everybody has a part in the kingdom of God. We've got to do our part. What we see in the book of Exodus, the birth of a Hall of Fame hero, Moses. We also see... To keep Moses alive, it took teamwork from his family. The backdrop of this story, Pharaoh had given orders to all the baby boys were to be instantly killed. His exact words were in Exodus 1 and 22. Every son that is born, ye shall cast into the river. Pharaoh was trying to weaken the Israelites. He was trying to kill all the Hebrew boys. Isn't it funny how God mocked Satan with his own words? The same river that was to bring death to all the Hebrew sons would be the same river to bring about God's divine will. It would be the same river that baby Moses would find life and be introduced to the world. Someone once said, on that memorial day, on that memorable day, God floated his navy on the tears of a baby's cheek. But without his sister Miriam... Watching him and doing her part, he may have drowned or been killed. Not only did he, not only did she watch him while he was in the river, she also does her part in talking to Pharaoh's daughter. I love this story because it, it's just, you see God working all through it and, and the devil don't even know what's going on the whole time. Isn't that the way it is? The devil doesn't know what hits him when God starts working in our lives. She says, do you want me to go and call to you nurse from the Hebrew women? So she may nurse the baby for you. I know she probably was giggling under her breath when she was saying all this. She knew who she was going to get. She knew what she was going to do. Pharaoh's daughter said, yes, go. So Miriam goes to her, to her mom, Moses' mom, to get her and take care of her baby brother. They're supposed to be killed. Not only that, Moses' mother was paid by the state to raise her own son. Again, how do you do that? That's a miracle of God right there. But Miriam had to do her part. She had to do her part. 2 Kings 5 and verse 1 is another story. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. 
He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies, had brought away captive out of the land of Israel, a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. In verse 3, chapter 5, it says, The girl told her mistress, If only my master was with the prophet in Samaria, then the prophet could cure him of his skin disease. And that's God's word translation there, that last verse. What I want to look at is this little maid. Are we doing our part? We see Miriam. She had a part to play. She had a part to play to bring Moses into Pharaoh's hands to be raised, to be Moses could go ahead and fulfill his will, uh, God's will in Moses' life. And now we see this little maid. The Bible doesn't even give her a name, but she figures prominently in the history, and her testimony affects nations. It had been very easy for her to be bitter and angry towards God. Anybody ever been angry at God? Yeah? Pastor tells us all the time, you can tell God exactly how you feel. He already knows it anyway. He already knows it anyway. She could have been easily angry and bitter for him allowing her to be taken captive away from her land, her family, and made a slave in Syria. But she exhibited none of these evil traits. She retained her testimony. The things she did not understand, she left in the hands of God. If this little maid didn't do her part and they do her part, Naaman would never receive his healing. Not only the little maid, but there are others in the story that had to do their part. Naaman's servant had to talk to his, talk him into his miracle. And today I asked Miss Metz and Taylor to help me out to do their part. They're going to help us out. If you guys would, just come up and stand up. I, I love this scripture right here. Come right up here if you would. And I got Taylor the perfect part to read for me right here because it's just fitting for him. He can do it. And then I was thinking, who would be a good servant? I was like, Miss Metz, I mean, she's, she personifies servanthood. So we, we, I got the, these two to, to, to help me out right here. And so I'm going to read a little bit, and then they're going to read with me. All right? Naaman came with his horses and chariot and stopped at the entrance to Elisha's home. I'm in 2 Kings 5 and 9. His whole entourage was there, and they stopped at Elisha's home. Elisha sent a messenger to him and said, Wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your skin will be healthy and clean. But Naaman became angry and left, and he said, I thought at least he would come out of his house, at least stand somewhere, call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the infected place, and heal the skin disease. The Abana, the Farfar rivers in Damascus could have better water than any of the rivers in Israel. Couldn't I wash in them and be clean? So he turned around and left in angry. He was upset. But Naaman's servant went, went to him and said, Master, if the prophet had asked you to do some extraordinary act, wouldn't you have done it? Why shouldn't, why shouldn't you do as he said, wash and be clean? Thank you guys very much. They did their part, what they were asked to do. The last verse of that, verse 14. So he went and dipped himself in the Jordan River seven times. And the man of God, as the man of God had instructed him, his skin became healthy again like a little child's skin. They all had a part to play. Once again, we see the little maid. If she didn't know about the prophet, if she hadn't said something to Naaman, Naaman would have been a leper the rest of his life, I believe. 
And then once he found out where to go, this reminded me of us so much because we know where to go. We know how to get to God's house. He's going to Elisha's house. Elisha's got to be some cool cat, man. He's a prophet. He's got God on his side. This, this, this big guy up here, he's got all this money. He's got this prestige and everything. I'm not even getting off my sofa. I'm going to send my guy out there in time. Go wash down the dirty river. And I'm sure he heard from God for that. But I thought that was funny, too, because we're insulted sometimes when God wants to do something through us in a way we don't think it ought to be. We want God to move in us in a dignified way, in a certain way where I don't have to be embarrassed. Why do I have to come to an altar? Why do I have to be uh, anointed with oil? Why do I have to have all these things done? Instead of just being obedient to what God's word says and doing what he wants us to do, let the preacher be led. I heard a story, and I don't know if, how many of you know Most Tipton or not, but Most Tipton is a minister I've known him and or known of him all my life, uh, a big, tall man. And he's got story after story that is so funny that's happened to him while he's been ministering. But he was telling a story. I went and seen him preach in Conway, and he was telling a story of a woman that needed the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And, he, and when they were in revival, and he told this woman, he said, I'm going to fast until you receive the baptism. He said, I'm honest with you. He said, I thought, I'm going to fast one day, and I'm going to lay hands on her, and she's going to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. My fast will be over. I think he said it was a two-week revival. And he was coming to the end of that second week of revival, and he's still fasting because this woman every night come down for prayer and wouldn't receive the Holy Ghost. He's getting frustrated. He said he was praying, praying. He walked by, and he was walking by the pulpit. He said, and they had this huge jug of oil. He said, I ought to just throw that oil all over her. I just pour the whole thing over her. He grabbed the oil. He went down where she was praying. He dumped a whole jug of oil out on this woman and her dress. Moses said his wife thought to him herself, said, Moses, you just run this woman's dress, her hair, do you? All these things that went through his head. You've embarrassed this woman in front of the church. All these different things. He said immediately she went to speaking in tongues. As the Spirit gave the utterance, she was baptized in the Holy Ghost. Afterwards, he was talking to her and, and, and you know, apologizing for doing that. She said, oh, no, brother. She said, I had a dream last night that the Holy Ghost was flowing all down my back. And when that hit me, the Holy Ghost... That oil rolled down my back. The Holy Ghost come into my life. And she said, don't you dare apologize for that. I know there's been time I'd like to do that to some people. <laughs> Name and servants did their part. They talked him into obeying the man of God. Sometimes I said all that. We miss our miracle. Because of our lack of obedience. Pastor gets up here and preaches. Brother Kurt, Brother Taylor, my dad. All, the, all these men of God get up and preach. And we don't accept the word of God. Oh, that's just Drew. That's just Pastor Tony. That's just Taylor. When they've studied and prayed for a word of God that will touch your life. They don't know exactly what's going on in your life. We may know some things. You know, somebody's sick. We don't know everything going on in your life. But when you stand behind this pulpit... I pity the person that stands up here and tries to preach, tries to talk, anything without touching heaven first. I know how hard it is with myself, and Shelly gets on to me for being critical of myself. But when you're raised up with a preacher like my dad, and then I raise up a preacher, and then I'm under a pastor that's an incredible preacher, it's inferior to get up here and speak God's word. But you know what? God's reassured me, this is what I've called you to do. You do it the way you do it. And so that's what I've done. But so many times... We miss it because we don't want to obey the preacher. What do I do, pastor? This and this, this is going, what, how can it, 
Well, first thing you need to do, you need to get in pray. You need to do some fasting. I don't really want to fast. I don't. 21 day Daniel fast, that's silly. I'm not going to do that. Um, isn't that the way we act? It was going good there a minute. In Judges 3.15, we find Israel's in bondage once again. They were serving under Eglon. I love these names. I don't know where they come up with them. Eglon. We should have named one of our kids that. We could have had a scrambled egg, a boiled egg, and Eglon. Anyway, this is the king of Moab. For 18 years, they was in bondage to him. Verse 15 says, But when the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer. When the children of Israel cried out, we've got to cry out to God. We've been crying out for the last three weeks. We've been putting our body through pain. I know it don't look like I told them. I normally don't talk about this, but I weighed this today. I weighed the first day of the fast. I weighed today. I've lost 20 pounds. And I said, and I still look like this? <laughs> but we've been punishing our bodies, getting our body under submission and giving ourselves to God, our flesh under submission. But not only that, we've been meeting here in the mornings to pray and ask God to have his way in our lives, in our church life, and healing and salvation to come to this house. And I believe right now we're going to start seeing these things come true. We've already seen some of this come true. We're going to continue to see this come true if we'll cry out to the Lord. What a powerful statement. We need to cry out to the Lord more often. The deliverer's name was Ehud. There's another one. Ehud. Eglon. Ehud was the deliverer. If you read the rest of chapter 15, you'll see Ehud made himself a dagger and went to the king Eglon with one intention, and that was to kill the king. This king was the enemy of Israel, just like Satan is the enemy of our soul. Another, well, there's so many side notes and, and things you could say about these things. He went to kill someone that was oppressing the Israelites. But you know what? We have to go in and, and get the devil eradicated out of our own lives. The devil and ourself, and I say call it the devil, Satan influences us to do things that we shouldn't be doing. You know, and under the power of and that's my personality, that's this or that. We need to be dying to ourselves and let Christ live through us. We need to be going in and killing some things in our lives. The message from God in Judges verse 20 is that every enemy of our Christian life is to be put to the sword. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which means that the enemy not merely be defeated, but be slain, be dead to it. If Ehud, if Ehud doesn't do his part, there would never have been a deliverance for Israel. Because after he killed the king, he escaped from the palace and went to the Israelites and said, Follow me, for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hands. Not only did he kill the king, while they're trying to figure everything out, he's going back to the rest of the Israelites saying, The time's ripe. The time's right. If I could say something to TFT right now, the time is right. We've been fasting. We've been praying. The time is right for us to attack and be on the attack. Tired of us being these, these soft Christians. Just, well, we're just going to sit in this church and pray for everybody. It's time we get out in the community and start winning people. Start touching the people. Start touching the untouchable. People out there, we think, oh, there's no hope for them. They've been a drunk all their life. They've been a drug addict all their life. They've been this or that all their life. That's not the way God looks at them. That's his child. He wants somebody to reach them. The Bible says they killed 10,000 of Moab's best fighting men, and none of them escaped. Ehud did his part. My question today is, are you doing your part for the kingdom of God? I know I didn't. It was the 17th. We're going to have a meeting here for the workers. 
Uh, it'll be for leadership, be for workers, everyone that does anything in this church. Uh, we need them to be here that day. But then also, if you feel a calling to do something, uh, you feel like, you know, you have a ministry that's, that's in your heart that you need to start or whatever, we want you here. If you feel like, hey, I want to be the guy that picks bubblegum off the, the sidewalk out there, whatever ministry that God's called you to, we need you here that day. If you have a burden for this church at all, we need you here that day. But we all have a part to do. Whatever that part is, we need to step into our calling. To be real honest with you, God gifted me to play guitar. He did. Not to sing. Some of you heard me sing would say amen. God didn't gift me in that way. But his hand's been on my life to minister through music. I've had people over and over and over play under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And after church came up to me and said, it was like your guitar was speaking words to me. Speaking words to me. It's not Drew. It's God. It's the Holy Ghost working and me just being a vessel for him to work through. And I'm not saying that to lift me up. We all have a part to do. We've all got a calling that we need to fulfill. I dedicated myself. I developed my skills. I worked hard. Remember, if you was here a couple weeks ago, we were talking about Lazarus coming out of the grave. But there was a part they had to do first. He said, move the stone. Remove the stone. Why didn't God just, why didn't Jesus just say, the stone's gone? I, me and Cardin was talking about it again last night. I said, do you believe God has the power to blow up a rock? And he said, yeah. I said, if he can raise the dead. I said, couldn't he just took that rock and just flung it? And he goes, yeah. I said, why do you think he said remove the stone? He goes, I don't know. So I got to preach to him again. Same sermon. It worked. It even got better when I taught it to him. God wants us to do our part. He wants us to be a part of the miracle. We know the power comes from him, but he wants us to be a part of it. That's the reason why. You have to develop your skills. You have to do what you have to do. If you're going to be preaching, I'm going to Bible school. I'm trying to develop what God's called in me. All right? Playing the guitar. I had to develop something. Sometimes it, my parents, they helped in my craft. They cultivated my craft. Sometimes cultivation looks a lot like a belt. Sometimes cultivation is very painful. But it worked. It worked. I had to allow God to move and, and, you know, on me and perform what he wanted to accomplish in my, in my life so my talent could be used for him. As we stop traveling, evangelizing, we come to an end. I thought, you know, well, my ministry's over. You know, I've been playing guitar and, and drums and traveling around the nation for I don't know how many years, 30 years probably. And uh, so when I come to church, I wasn't giving up on God. I wasn't done with God, nothing like that. I just thought my ministry was over. Now it's time for me to sit in church and be the good church member and, you know, come to church, pay my tithes and be faithful. And that was it. God, had, God was done with me. Little did I know, he sucked me in through baseball. I just, I was, this is not in my notes either, but just real quickly. Literally, baseball through the city of Greenbrier, I, they asked me to be on board. I wasn't able to because we was over, always traveling. And when we were seen we were going to be here a while, I said, yes, I will serve on the board with you. My first meeting, I walk in, everybody's mad cussing, and they quit. They throw the checkbook on the, on the table, and they say, you run it. And there I was sitting there with one other gentleman. I was still a friend of mine today, and uh, he pushed the checkbook to me. He said, you run it, I'll help you. For 13 years, I run baseball here in town that way. But what I did and what I didn't realize, and Sister McEwen seen it, she said, God's bringing you out of your box. Because I was kind of more like Peyton. I was real quiet, 
and shy, except to my family. I was aggravating and mean. But to everyone else, I was quiet and shy. But you know what? God started drawing me out of the box. At the same time, I became youth pastor here and started speaking in front of the kids. And they didn't care if I misread words, didn't read them just quite right or whatever. They didn't care. They just, oh, that's just true. So it was easy. I got my feet wet there. But you know what? I was getting in front of, you know, 30, 40, 50, 100 mad baseball coaches and having meetings and having to talk and tell them the way we're going to run things. God was bringing me out of my shell. And the more he was doing that, the more love I had for the word of God. And I kept thinking, I, I need to go to our psalm. I need to do something to, to enrich my uh, knowledge of the Bible. And anyway, to let you know, that's exactly the way God works things. He's calling you to something. He's going to equip you to do it too. He's going to help you, Amen. give you the love to do these things. Yes. So instead of just coming and sitting, we've been coming to this church and working. Amen. God has a purpose and plan for each and every one of us. Not only that, it takes each and every one of us if we are to accomplish what God wants done with our individual lives and our church vision. Come grow with us is our motto here. It's God's grand plan. Sometimes in God's grand plan, sometimes we feel we're not as important or we're not significant. I've felt that way before. Sitting in this church before, I thought, you know, God, is this really what you have for me? I found out real quick I couldn't be comfortable because there was another calling. There was another thing that's happening in my life. We feel insignificant. No one's going to even notice if I'm not there. God will use somebody else. God doesn't need me. That may be even true. Just to be honest, it may be true. But you know what? God wants you. God wants you in here. And I will tell you this. We need you here. We need you doing your part in our church. Don't you believe a lie from the Satan? We're all somebody in the body of Christ. Your part is as important as my part, our pastor's part, because without the church body, how are we going to reach our family, friends, and community? How's this local body going to walk without legs? How are we going to reach without arms? I pray to God that we'd all feel the responsibility and the compassion to do our part in bringing about God's will through our church. Do you know that God has plans for this church to be the light in our darkened community? Amen. I hear somebody say, well, our community's not that bad. Don't kid yourself. Yeah. Don't kid yourself. There's drugs on every corner. I had a boy live with me for a while, and that boy, every gas station we go by, oh, you can get drugs there, you can get drugs there, you can get drugs there. They're all over the city. So don't, don't kid yourself. Think, oh, we're not that bad. We're bad. I love this community. I'm, I'm pro-Greenbrier, and don't throw any rocks at me. I vote for every tax that comes into Greenbrier because I want to see our city succeed. My dad, we cancel each other's vote. He votes no, I vote yes every time. So, I think Shelly does too, so they're ganging up on me. <laughs> I want us to have the best ball fields, the best community centers, the best nursing homes. I want all these things that the city helps fund. I, I want it to be the best, so yeah, I'm, I'm voting for them things. But, you know, I'm not going to kid myself and, and see that Satan's not trying to influence this city and trying to do things through our schools and through our kids. We're under attack, and we need to realize it. Yeah. Yeah. I believe God has plans for our church. I believe he has plans for our church to be spiritually, physically, mentally, and financially to prosper in all these areas Amen. this year. Do you know it's God's will for this church to be the hub in which the Holy Ghost flows? Yes. Well, he could flow anywhere, Drew. He could. 
I believe he chose this church for the Holy Ghost to flow out of. There's other Pentecostal churches around, and I'm nothing against them. I want God to move through them too. I want God to move through the Nazarene, the Baptist, the Methodist. It, it doesn't matter to me. I believe God has chosen this church to be the hub where he's going to pour things out, Brother Mike, that we've never seen before. He was crucified. He defeated hell, grave. He rose three days later. How much greater love do we need to have the compassion to go out and tell others of the good news that we know, that we share? Amen. I know I'm not very long, and I feel like I've shared what God wanted me to share. And Brother Ed, I know that uh, Brother Ed was going to sing for us today. And if you, if you would, come on up here and get ready. Okay, Sister Shelley, would you come up? God wants to show his power in our lives. If we'll just be willing. Will you be the one that stands up and watches the babes in Christ so they don't drown or get eaten up like Miriam did? Will you be the one to tell God's power to those who are sick and afflicted? Will you be the one who encourages people to follow after God when he's given you a word where to go? Me and Sister Shirley was talking about that today. Will you be the one who walks into the enemy's camps and slay the power of darkness? God wants us all to do our part. I can't tell you what your part is. I don't know what God's will is for your life. There's some things in the Bible I think we can be rest assured it is God's will for every man to be saved. We know that. But I don't know what God wants to do through you. But I know he has a part for you to do. He has a part for you right here in this local church. That's why you're here today. Your part may be changing dirty diapers in the nursery. I don't want that part, Sister Margaret. But that's what God calls you to. You may be the door greeter with a welcome, loving smile, Sister Shirley. You may need to start a substance abuse program. I don't know. I don't know what God has for you. But he gifted every one of us with something to help us carry out our assignment and what God's called us to. He'll, he'll equip us to do it. I'm the one. I feel so inadequate when I stand behind this desk. But I want to be obedient and do what God asked me to do. We need to all be obedient. Would you stand with me today? We need to be obedient to his word. We need to search our heart and ask God, God, what do you have for me to do? What, how do you want me to serve? Are we not servants of the Most High? We should be serving in some category. As I pray, would you find your place around this altar? Let's talk to God. Ask him to help us fulfill what he has, what his will is for our life. Father, I thank you, Lord, once again for the opportunity. Lord, for the opportunity to speak, Lord, your word. I ask you, Lord, right now that it penetrates our heart, Father. Lord, convict our hearts, Lord, that we find the place, Lord, that you want us to be in your service. Would you anoint us, Jesus? Help us to seek after you, Father. Help us to hunger and thirst after you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.